just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From APP.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. And welcome back to Jersey Jump Shot from the USA Today Network. Episode lucky number 13 on the season. Ryan Ross here, of course, with Jerry Carino, Chris Eisman, Steve Edelson. And on behalf of all of us, welcome to March. Things are going to start to get very interesting the next few days and weeks. And we're very excited to talk about it with you guys. Uh, Thanks again for listening. Guys, welcome to March. Uh, I mean, we have a lot to get through today's show. Uh, We're going to start, of course, with the regular season wrapping up, Jerry. So that means uh, our senior nights are taking place. We saw Rutgers senior night happen this past week. A nice win over Indiana for the Scarlet Knights. Uh, It's happening all around the country. And, you know, this is obviously something that happens every year with senior nights being honored, uh, you know, at the different gyms around America. Now we have it with, uh, of course, under the cloud of COVID and this extra year of eligibility that these seniors have the option to take if they so desire. So I know you're getting asked this question a lot by our readers and listeners, but what are the seniors going to do? Have you heard anything? And and just walk us through just uh, another wrinkle to this season that's so unusual. Ryan, let me first start by saying, woo <laughs> It's March! It's March, baby! We have waited a year for this. A year, and it will be a special March because we all believe there will be an NCAA tournament. After a year of a silent March, the madness is back. So let's start by getting that off my chest. And man, did it feel good. Now, to answer your question, because... We are going through these senior nights. And I got to tell you, I love senior night. To me, senior night is one of those things that it is a special rite of passage, particular to the college game. Yes, of course, they have them in high school, too. But for these collegians, the vast majority of them, this is the end of the line for them as, as, uh, as basketball players, certainly as students. And they're entering a different phase of their life. So it really is a special moment. It's a little weird this year for a number of reasons. One is you know, the empty or mostly empty arenas. But two, and really the thing that fans have been bombarding me about is what are these seniors going to do next year? Because they all have been given an extra year of eligibility from the NCAA because of the COVID interruptions. And my advice to all fans everywhere is this. Don't expect any seniors to come back and be pleasantly surprised by the ones who do. Because just... Anecdotally speaking, from talking to people and also looking at what seniors did last year in the spring who were given an extra year of eligibility, most will not come back. Most of these seniors want to get on with their lives. Uh, They have jobs awaiting. For those who aspire to make money playing basketball, there's a limited amount of window. There's a limited window of years where you can make money playing basketball. So, you know, for those seniors who are 22, 23 years old, You have to get on with that now or you're cutting off a year of your prime earnings as a basketball player. So I think most will not come back. You will have some who do, 
who maybe don't aspire to play professional basketball or feel they need an extra year or really value the college experience. But let's 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 take, say another thing too about this about this college experience. It was non-existent this year. I mean, you know, we we all know how great college can be, but these players weren't really in college this year. They're taking classes online. They had no interaction with fellow students. They were completely isolated. This wasn't really a good college experience. So I think most seniors are going to leave. Now, you know, one senior we know who is definitely going to leave is, is Sandro Mamouklashvili at Seton Hall. I mean, he hasn't announced it yet, but we all know he's he's got a very good chance of being chosen in the NBA draft. Okay, he's going to make a lot of money playing basketball somewhere next year at six foot ten with guard skills. So it makes total sense for him to move on, and everybody expects him to do that. Um, you know, regarding other seniors, Miles Johnson at Rutgers says he's going to play. He's going to go to grad school. He's the only Rutgers player who said I'm going coming back to school, but he's applied to different grad schools at different universities. So you know, could he potentially wind up back home in California at Stanford doing his graduate year and playing basketball for? For the Cardinal, it's possible. It's possible. We don't know. These Some of these seniors haven't made decisions, and a lot of them don't want to address that until after the season's over. You know, Rutgers is a senior guard who's going to be 24 in September, 24 years old. Then He's not going to come. The chances of him coming back are very small. you got to get on with it at some point. Fans should understand that and be grateful for those seniors now. Yeah, absolutely, Jerry. I mean, you're right on it. It's it's a case by case basis. Obviously, the the guys that do have some sort of professional future playing basketball, this isn't a concern for them. Uh, not necessarily even the NBA. There's there's plenty of opportunities abroad in, in Europe or or wherever you might go. And like you said too, there's people that want to get on with their careers. But for a lot of players, I mean, we've been around high school and college sports. We know how special these four years are. And to have your senior year kind of derailed by this entire COVID pandemic to play in empty gyms all year, to go through shutdowns and all the weird protocols that that everyone's had to follow this year. There's got to be a lot of seniors out there that go, why not? Why not get a do-over? Why not have this this year given to us? Uh, like you said, maybe even get another degree. Come back and, and continue your schooling to to just improve your, your professional career eventually. But why not get a do-over and, and come back, especially if there's really not too many uh, professional prospects uh, at the next level. So it's, it's definitely a tough decision for a lot of these guys. But Steve, what are you, what are you hearing at Monmouth? It's a different level. What's the feeling there? Well, I, I think I know for sure one of one of Mama's seniors, Malik Martin, has applied to, to come back for grad school. His dad absolutely wants him to begin working on his MBA. I'm sure he's going to do that. You know, other than that, it's it's hard to tell. You know, um, George Pappas, you know, has emerged as maybe the best shooter in the league. He has a Greek passport. You know, that is a, a real ticket to playing in Europe if you have a European passport. Um you know, so as you said, the the there's a limited time to go make money. Maybe he wants to just start getting paid. That would make sense. You know, a former Union Catholic star. Um, you know, you look at Dion Hammond. He has said for, since day one coming to Monmouth, he wants to be a pro. So, you know, again, it, I would be surprised if he does come back. Uh, so it's kind of a mixed bag. But, you know, uh, last week, uh, King Rice was talking a little bit about this, how this adds this extra layer of distraction for every senior this year because they've got everyone from AAU coaches to girlfriends to parents talking at them about what they should do next year. And what and and, and it's it's distracting them. At a time when they should be focusing on the conference tournament, you know, the NCAA tournament. So there's, there's a lot going on now. 
Yeah, and and just a whole other angle too, just to quickly hit on is is the whole recruiting aspect. And you have, of course, freshmen coming in next year, and a major recruiting tool is playing time. So if you have a fifth year senior there who's coming back to take advantage of this year, uh, you know that could really jam things up in terms of your roster. And that's an interesting point because let's face it, it, a lot of fans are like, well, if our whole senior class comes back and then we, you know, so next year the NCAA has eased the scholarship restrictions, but what good does it have? Do you having 17 guys on scholarship? You're going to have a lot of unhappy guys because people aren't going to get playing time. You know, that's that, a disaster. That works, that, that, that's a real problem as well. That's a disaster, but I think I think it, it, absolutely it's it's hard enough to keep a, a 12, 13 guys happy. It's impossible actually. So 16, 17, forget about it. But <laughs> I think coaches know most seniors are not coming back. Will they welcome the seniors who want to come back? I think most will. You know, Steve Peichel says he will. I believe him. Kevin Willard says he will. I, I believe them. Believe him. But they know that most will not come back. Like I said, Jacob Young's going to be 24 in September. Can you blame him if he wants to make some money playing basketball? Which he certainly could. No, of course not. So you know, like like Steve said, it's a problem waiting to happen. But and there's a lot of layers to it. But you know, we'll see what actually happens, and we're not going to find out mostly until the season's over. And just one more wrinkle of craziness, of course, into the season beyond this extra year of eligibility is something that you were tweeting about last week, Jerry, Uh, this NCAA tournament craziness and how the system will work in terms of teams that get shut down, that that are unable to play in the tournament. We're essentially going to have a wait list made up of these bubble teams. And of course, that could be. Factoring in for for a team like Seton Hall, who's kind of firmly on the bubble right now, if they are to not make the initial tournament field, they could more or less be tagged in off the bench to come replace a team who can't go. Right. It could factor in for a Monmouth or St. Peter's, too, for a different reason, which I'll explain. But basically, here's the the rules that that the committee has come out with for playing uh, for for dealing with covid shutdowns during the NCAA tournament. Okay, so once the field is announced on Selection Sunday, then uh, they'll be testing every day of all the teams, right? And if any team has COVID positive COVID tests, they're going to be pulled scratched from the field. So if those if those positive tests take place before the first game of the tournament, then here's what's going to happen: teams, one bid leagues, one bid leagues like the MAC, for example, will get to choose a replacement. So let's just say hypothetically, Iona wins the conference tournament and then has positive tests you know, in between Selection Sunday and the first game, they will now come out of the NCAA tournament. The MAC will choose a replacement, whether that's the runner-up of the conference tournament or, you know, the reg- the highest remaining regular season finisher. I-, I don't know. We'll have to ask those questions. But in in a case of multi-bid leagues, there'll be a four-team wait list. It's the four teams that came closest to making the NCAA tournament but missed in order, numbered one through four, that's a position Seton Hall could very well wind up in. And here's the crazy part is, so it's ba- basically the team that comes off the wait list, they replace the team that scratches at, at their seed. So if one, if top-seeded Baylor gets positive tests in that week of testing prior to the first game, the first team off the wait list takes their place as a one seed. I mean, that is just mind-blowing. And they do that because... You know, they don't want to have to, like, two days before the first game, reshuffle the entire lineup in a region, in a in a bracket, and then everybody's suddenly facing different opponents 
different scouting, et cetera. They don't want to upset the entire apple carts. So I understand the methodology behind it. It is just really crazy. And I, I think, Steve, I don't know what you think or what Chris thinks. I think it's almost inevitable that someone's going to probably scratch. Now, once the tournament starts, then if there's any scratches, then it's a forfeit and a team automatically advances in the bracket. That's less likely to me because once they all get into Indy, they're all going to be in, in lockdown, not going anywhere. But that first week when they arrive before that first game, that's a time you might see some crazy stuff happen. This is It's going to be chaos for office pools. And let's face it, that's the most important thing here is, <laughs> is, is that office pool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't fill out your office pool right away. See, it's, we gave you a little advice. It's the path to a one seed, right? You, in the NFL, you tank for the number one draft pick. Now you tank now, and boom, you get a one seed, right? No, I'm just I'm, kidding. But I mean, if that <laughs> happens, if that happens, or one, or even a two or three, and a team that didn't make the the field at large takes its place, it is going to cause a kaboom from not just brackets but commentary. It will turn everybody on their head. Yeah, and then you'll you'll have a team like UMBC Maryland, right? Then they uh, the upset Virginia a couple years ago. They did it the hard way. So if a, if a one replacement goes down, that's going to screw up the record books too. But uh, we'll worry about that later. It's just one more wrinkle in uh, in all of this. Uh, one last thing to touch on too. It's a tweet that we saw this morning. Uh, it's John Rothstein, I believe, at CBS, uh, hearing rumors that teams could schedule a game between their conference tournament and the NCAA tournament. Uh, that, of course, is for teams who are playing in conference tournaments that end far enough in advance of the NCAA tournament. So, uh, you know, a lot of the the major conferences, the, uh, the ACC, things like that, that end their conference tournament on Selection Sunday won't really be affected by that. But for some of the smaller teams, smaller conferences, maybe Gonzaga, Houston, schools like that, it's, it's a rumor out there that maybe they add a game in that kind of week off they have before the NCAA tournament, this doesn't make any sense to me, but I, I guess it's out there. Yeah, I mean, Gonzaga and Houston aren't going to do it because it can only hurt them. But, right. but you could see like a team like a Boise State or maybe a um, a Drake, somebody who's, you know, some mid-major who's on the bubble, uh, whose conference tournament ends early, trying to get the resume a boost. It'll be a limited amount of teams. It's really It really is not a bad idea if you can swing it against another team in the same situation where the winner really gets a boost. It'd be fun to watch, actually, but I don't think it's going to happen. It's going to be very common. Just the, the Wild West this season with everything going on. Who knows? But uh, let's get into our team discussions. We'll start with Rutgers. Uh, as I said earlier, they win over Indiana on senior night. They have Nebraska happening tonight, Monday night, and Minnesota on Saturday. Uh, Chris, let's go to you. Uh, we're looking at about a seven and eight seed, I guess, depending on where you check on the Scarlet Knights. Uh, what's the outlet for the outlook for this week, and what do they need to do to really cement their seeding? Well, the outlook's pretty good. I mean, you got two two games left against Nebraska and Minnesota. Um, both teams are really struggling. Uh, Nebraska did just beat Minnesota the other day, and so this is just a big opportunity for Rutgers to go get. They need one win. They need at least one win, but I think there's a very, very good chance that they win both of these to lock up their uh, their bid to the tournament. And there is some breaking news as we're recording this. Uh, Nebraska guard uh, Teddy Allen left the program, so uh, he won't be there tonight. So that's he was averaging 16 points a game this year. So um, that is some breaking news, and it obviously affects that game tonight. Um, but Rutgers has a big opportunity this week. I, I think things are looking very, very good for them. Um, two teams that are really bad in the Big Ten. I mean, you know, really scuffling right now. So um, I, I like Rutgers going 2-0. I mean, both Nebraska and Minnesota are, are dumpster fires. Fred Hoiberg's been a disaster since he came back 
to the college ranks at Nebraska. And Richard Pitino's on the hot seat. He's really done nothing in eight years at Minnesota, much less than his predecessor, Tubby Smith, who got run out of town. Um, you know, these these Rutgers is getting is gonna beat these teams on the moon. I don't care where the games are. And but they're getting they're getting lousy, poorly coached teams at the right time. Here's the thing for Rutgers. To me, it's no longer about getting into the NCAA tournament. It's about getting in where you can make a run. And this team was picked 24th in the preseason top 25. This team was ranked fifth in the Big Ten's preseason poll. This is about not getting into an 8-9 game where you're going to have to deal with Gonzaga or Baylor if you win your first-round game, and the odds are stacked against you. It's about getting up to that 7 line, which means, for starters, going 2-0 and this week for Rutgers. Absolutely. Avoiding, you know, like you said, Jerry, that that eight seed, that's so tough because right off the bat, you play a nine seed, of course, a team that's more or less evenly matched with you. And then if you are to win that game, you have a one seed waiting for you. So what do we think? Two and oh this week. And then what? One, two more wins in the Big Ten tournament. Should that do it for Rutgers to bump them up to a seven? Two more wins in the Big Ten tournament. You're talking about going through a heavyweight, right, Chris? If they get two more, they'll have knocked off a giant if they get two more. Yeah, yeah, that would be a that would be something. That would certainly lock things up. There's no question about that. But but Jerry's right. You know, back to a point about making a run in the tournament. That that was always the goal. And, you know, in their minds, in a lot of ways, they made the tournament last year. You know that, that the drought ended, um, and they were supposed to go before the pandemic obviously just shut everything down. The goal always this year was getting the tournament, winning the tournament, make a run. So I, I agree completely with Jerry. But yeah, I mean, two wins in the Big Ten tournament that'd be incredible. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, to me, to me, if they win both games this week. And then they win their first round Big Ten tournament game, which would be like against an Indiana or Maryland type of team, like a decent team, right? That could get them to seven, I think. That could get them locked in at seven. That could get them avoiding the eight, nine game. So, yeah, that would do it. Um, a lot of it's a lot circumstantial, like what else happens. But I just can't, I cannot fathom Rutgers losing one of these next two games, Chris. Can you? I mean, you've seen Rutgers all season. They played a great game against Indiana. I just can't see it. No, not at all. I mean, I, I just I would be shocked if they lost any one of these games. I mean, I think they're just going to blow these teams out completely. So I, I, I'm with you. I would be totally shocked if they, if they lost either one. So we'll check on Rutgers, of course, in the next show. Uh, as for Seton Hall, Jerry, well, I'll be honest. I was ready to, to rule them out after their loss to Butler this past week. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people thought that was it in terms of their NCAA tournament hopes. But then you look around the country, and a lot of other of these bubble teams, they didn't have so great of a week either. So the door is still open for Seton Hall. What do you think about their tournament chances? And, of course, they have UConn Wednesday, St. John Saturday. They need a 2-0 week as well. So it was a good weekend for Seton Hall, <laughs> the best weekend they've had in a while, and they didn't play because <laughs> just, you know, sometimes it's the way the bubble breaks. So, so yeah, they're, Seton Hall's a consensus 12 seed right now. Um, most people have them as a 12. Some have them as just one of the first couple teams out. But with, with get two quad two games lined up, UConn at home, and let's face it, UConn is a, is a better than a quad two team, fully healthy, with James Booknight back, star guard. Um and then at St. John's, which is you know a decent team, and you're on the road, Seton Hall goes two and zero. They're going to be in pretty good shape. It's going to be hard to go two and zero though, because mm -hmm. UConn is rolling right now, and you know St. John's is much better than the team Seton Hall beat pretty easily back in December. It's going to be hard. I think if Seton Hall goes two and zero, they'll be in very good shape to get in the NCAA tournament. The question is, let's start with Wednesday. Can they win Wednesday? I think Wednesday's the harder game of the two because UConn is so good right now. Seton Hall didn't have to deal with Book Knight when they played last time, last month, okay? But Seton Hall has two aces up their sleeve. Even though the Pirates have played flat out poorly 
in the last four games. They have two aces up their sleeve that could maybe help them get back on track and and play UConn tough and maybe win the game. One is they're going to have fans, okay? Just in time, Governor Murphy is allowing 10% capacity. It's senior night, and there's going to be fans, maybe up to 1,800 fans in the Prudential Center after a season of silence. And I've been at a couple of these games. It's eerie. After a season of silence, 1,800 fans could seem like 10,000 fans to those players. Okay, that's one. And there won't be UConn fans, by the way. These fans were not up for public sale. Otherwise, UConn fans would gobble them up. Uh, these were these were given out to applicants on the Seton Hall side. Number two is, I believe Seton Hall will have Bryce Aiken back. All signs point toward uh, the point guard, the postgrad, who had such high expectations coming into the season, transferring from Harvard, but has been injured throughout most of, most of the year. All signs point toward him being back, barring a setback. Okay, we'll find out more later today. We're going to talk with Bryce and the other seniors for Senior Day interview. But all signs point toward him coming back. And Seton a, a different team with Bryce Aiken and Shavar Reynolds platooning, time-sharing at point guard than they are with Reynolds having to carry the entire load by himself which has been the problem lately. So Seton Hall will have a better than a puncher's chance in this game. And the question is, can they just take advantage of these intangibles, get a little momentum going? And as we've seen in college basketball, a season can turn on a dime. So that's UConn Wednesday and St. John's Saturday. What does a one-in-one week do for them? Let's say they don't win against UConn. They have a St. John's team that they should beat. And then we head into the conference tournament. Uh, What does a one-in-one week do? And what would they need to do in the conference tournament? So it means Seton Hall probably finishes, they'll probably finish fourth or fifth in the conference, uh, which means they get in a four or five game, which means they'll probably, they'll, so they'll have to, they'll have to win that first round Big East tournament game against, you know, could be a Xavier, could be a St. John's uh, type of team. So decent game. And then they probably will have to win the next game, which would be against a Villanova or a Creighton, probably Villanova. They'd have to beat a heavyweight. So if Seton Hall loses to UConn, they'll have to win three straight games. St. John's and then two Big East tournament games, I think, to, to get into the NCAA tournament. And that's going to be hard. Uh, right. I do think Seton Hall will play very well Wednesday. I do not think they will continue to play poorly. I don't know if playing well enough will be good enough to beat UConn because UConn's really good. But they'll be in the game. I expect this to be anybody's game with four minutes left. Buckle up, Seton Hall fans. It's going to be a wild week for you guys. Uh, let's look quickly at our mid-majors as well, Steve. Uh, Mammoth, they have a rider coming up on Thursday and Friday. Uh, they St. Peter's, they split with Ryder. They have Quinnipiac Thursday, Friday. Uh, FDU and NJIT, their seasons are over. Uh, so what's our outlook, uh, especially in the MAC, as we get towards our conference tournament there? Well, Monmouth is supposed to, you know, they missed games last week due to contact tracing after Iona tested positive, who Monmouth played two weekends back. So uh, it, it's it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I'm not even sure the Ryder games are going to come off. They are still uh, scheduled. I'm assuming they are, but it wouldn't shock me if they don't play those games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it really, it, it all comes down to rolling the dice in Atlantic City. The problem for Monmouth is if you consider Monmouth, Iona, Siena, and St. Peter's are the top four teams in the MAC, Monmouth's one in five against those teams. So they're going to have to, they're just simply going to have to play better. Um, you know, St. Peter's, I think that was a little bit of a hit for them to lose that second game to Ryder. You know, they could have really made a statement by sweeping this weekend, but. 
listen, it's hard to sweep a team back to back days. We've seen that over the course of the season. Um, and you know, it, it, it really will be interesting to see what happens at the Mac tournament. And if Iona comes in as an eight or nine seed, and now all of a sudden you have to face them, uh, in a quarterfinal game and you're a, a one or two seed, that's a heck of a draw. Uh, and I really think, I really think Iona, if they're healthy, is probably going to be the favorite going down there. That's, think about that. Wrap your head around that for a minute. An eight or nine seed is going to be the favorite in a conference tournament. Steve, that has to be unprecedented. I know yeah. the Mac is a wild and woolly Wild West type place. This has to be unprecedented. Right. And and it and it all stems fr- from COVID because the Mac decided that, you know, obviously very few teams are going to play the full 20 conference games. So they decided before the season that conference wins would be how you seed the tournament. And I only has only played nine games. They're six and three in the league. So, you know, that's it. They're going to be one of the last seeds. And uh, that's the way it's going to work out. When you think about it, winning winning the max regular season title, I know you get to raise a banner, but it's really a booby prize. It could be a booby prize because you don't get the automatic NIT bid this year, which we've discussed. And, and you could well have to face Iona in a quarterfinal. So, I mean, that's that's brutal. Whereas <laughs> St. Peter's and Monmouth could really benefit from finishing second and third and maybe get a chance to build up a little momentum. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 insane, of course, and it's it's kind of par for the course this season. It's it's a lot of things that we haven't seen this year, all kind of happening at the same time. And uh, and, and Ryan, let's give a little shout about. out. Let's give a little shout out to uh to two players whose four year yes. careers have come to an end. Uh, NJIT Zach Cooks, senior guard, scored scored uh, seventeen hundred points. He's a second leading scorer in the program's Division One history. And uh, Jaleel Jenkins uh, at at Fairleigh Dickinson, who scored sixteen hundred points and is a top in the top five in in I think four or five different career categories for FDU. Now their four year careers came to an end last week. They'll have an option for another year. But if we don't see them again, hats off to those two gentlemen who did a fine job representing their schools. Fantastic careers. Absolutely. And, and Jerry, I saw a tweet from you, too. A Seton Hall alum getting a shot up in Binghamton. Is that what I saw? The head coach? Lavelle Sanders, who was a star in the 1990s for the Pirates, is going to be the interim head coach replacing Tommy Dempsey uh, at Binghamton. He was Dempsey's assistant. Sanders also had coached successfully overseas in Europe as a head coach in the Czech Republic. And uh, he's going to get a year. He's going to get a year to uh, to get his get his feet under him uh, and then have a chance to have the job permanently. And good for him. Uh, Binghamton's athletic director, Pat Elliott, is a former Seton Hall uh, assistant coach under P.J. Carlissimo. So there's the connection. And so, you know, we, we wish him well. And that's three Seton Hall alums former pirates who are division one men's basketball coaches now shaheen holloway at st peter's and dan hurley at uconn being the others that's a nice feather in the program's cap absolutely there good for him there and uh that's our first show in march and if this is any indication of what the uh the rest of the month is going to be like it's going to be a whole lot of fun for us and for you guys listening uh at home thank you for listening to jersey jump shot Episode 13, our first one in March. Uh, Be sure to tell your friends to uh, subscribe on SoundCloud, Spotify, or iTunes. Uh, As we wrap up, let's just quickly go around. We'll start with Jerry. Uh, What are some things our listeners can read this week on app.com and northjersey.com? First up, Seton Hall Senior senior Night feature coming your way within 24 hours. And then uh, later this week, a look back on the, uh, the March of 1991. 30 years ago, when Seton Hall and Rutgers both made the NCAA tournament, 
we'll be taking a look back on that great month. And could we see a repeat of that? Steve, how about you? Going to have a little uh, mid-major madness, I'm sure, this week uh, as things try and shake out and Mammoth tries to get back on the court. So we'll have uh, all that and, and more. And Chris, of course, your your work starts tonight with uh, Rutgers taking the court. That's right. We'll have plenty of uh, coverage of uh, the game against Nebraska and then against Minnesota as the uh, Big Ten tournament uh, gets closer. So keep an eye on uh, app.com and northjersey.com for all of that this week. Great stuff. Thank you for you guys for joining us today. Thank you for listening at home. Happy March. We made it. It's going to be a fun month. We can't wait to talk about it with you every week here on Jersey Jump Shot. For Jerry, for Chris, for Steve, I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.